My name is Shub. I'm a Shulik Leader Scholar studying Biomedical Sciences and a member at STEM Fellowship. And you're listening to STEM Fellows, a monthly podcast where I have conversations with prominent STEM leaders to spark big ideas. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of STEM Fellows. This month, I'm absolutely pumped to have Helen Huang on the show. Helen is one of many Canadian students studying medicine at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland and plans to pursue an internal medicine residency in Canada. Her avid interest in the cross-sections of AI and healthcare treatment has propelled her to self-teach coding languages and become a researcher in the epigenetic of gastrointestinal disease research group. Helen is also hoping to create a platform called Diaries of an IMG to raise awareness for medical students' mental health because of the pandemic. Helen, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on this show, Shiv. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I guess we can get, I guess, get get, get right into it. Um, would you mind just, I guess, telling us a little bit about uh, who you are, where you came from, and I guess what brought you to where you are today? And I always, always like to provide that context to everybody listening, just because um, it sets the foundation for everything we'll talk about later. So yeah, go feel free to go right ahead. Yeah, thank you so much. So um, as everyone knows, my name is Helen Huang. Um, I actually was born and raised in Abbotsford, Canada. Um, Both my parents are South Korean. They immigrated at a young age just to provide me better educational opportunities. And it really did work out. But I think when I was growing up in Abbotsford, it's a very small town and I had really big dreams. So one of the one of the things that I did and I promised myself to do was to travel and live in a country abroad away from Canada because I wanted to explore the world. And so as a result of that, um, upon matric- upon a graduation from high school, um, I joined the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland to study medicine. And as Shoup said, to hopefully match back to either Canada, the States, um, wherever um, my path takes me um, to an internal me- uh, medicine residency. Uh, ever since I joined RCSI, I think it's been a wonderful experience. There's been a lot of opportunities for me to get involved in research. And quite particularly, I've become very interested in the future of precision medicine and molecular medicine, because there's many genetic conditions that do plague our everyday lives, and even with our closest members. So for me to do research on that, to figure out if there's any way to reverse that is truly astounding. And so that's the current um, route that I'm doing, and the current, you know, projects that I'm over uh, undertaking. Um, I also do think because of the pandemic, I've been focusing a lot about figuring out how to maximize resources for mental health. And so that's currently where I'm at. Um, other other than you know traveling exploring the world <laughs> yeah no that's terrific uh, it's uh, I'm excited to talk about your experiences uh, at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland and mm-hmm. uh, I guess I guess what led up to that um, from uh, deciding that you wanted to pursue a route in medicine so mm-hmm. uh, maybe would you mind just telling us a little bit about your undergraduate education like you I, yeah. Did you even do an undergrad or did you directly just apply to medicine afterwards after you finished high school? Yeah, so um, for international medical school, I think in Ireland and Ireland and in the UK, there's right. different requirements, but there's a few programs you can choose to take. So for the six year in the uh, six year medicine program, um, it's direct for, uh, high school entry. So the only thing I submitted was my high school grades, my personal statements, reference letters, etc. Mm-hmm. And they placed me into the six year, but there's an option to do five year medicine if you went to an AP school or you had an IV school and you met the requirements. So 
I didn't go to an AP school. I did take uh, biology and chemistry AP. I just didn't take physics or calculus AP, which was one of the other requirements. So based off that, you're placed in the five-year program. But if someone had a bachelor's degree, they would um, do the graduate entry medicine program if they took the MCAT. And so I guess how many years would that be then? For me, um, oh, for, for graduate entry medicine, it's yeah. four years. For me, it's Got six, you. and I'm currently in my third year at RCSI. Okay, third year. Okay. But yeah, that's incredible. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, so yeah, this is a big question, but like, why medicine? Did you uh, I always ask this? Like, I had a previous guest on the show. He He's pursuing medicine at U of T. So mm. yeah, did you always know that something like medicine was something that you were passionate about and wanted to pursue or was there like something that happened specifically in your life that was like a final moment like yes I want to do medicine I think for I think some people experience epiphanies right but I think for me personally it was more of a revelation because I was actually really torn between studying law and studying medicine oh. uh, the reason why was because um, in high school I was part of a debate academy a, a debate and public speaking academy which sends Canadian teams to the states so for instance like Ivy League University tournaments to debate on certain topics of the month I really enjoyed that I think I got a really big exposure about politics, how we create argumentation, ultimately leading me to think that law might have been a viable career option for me. Um, but the, on the other hand, I think when I was younger, there was a plethora of conditions that plagued my family. So I think on my mm -hmm. mom's side, we had we were uh, there's a genetic predisposition to cancer. My dad's side, there's a lot of cardiovascular disease and diabetes. Um, personally, for me, I was born with NOCME, so I had to undergo a major surgery when I was younger. I think oh, because yeah. of that, there were so many medical conditions that made me wonder why does this happen and what can I do about it? So that's why I was kind of torn, but I realized as I was in um, my last year of high school that there's a very big difference between knowing something that you want to do for your life or as a hobby. And I realized that for me, debate and public speaking was more of a hobby. I rather enjoyed coaching rather than actually debating you know I liked teaching my students similar to how I would educate my patients in the future and I think because with all that coupled with the volunteer I did at um, a family medicine clinic as well too kind of mm -hmm. realized that I really more like having a close bonded relationship with my patients figuring out what's wrong making a personalized plan as opposed to let's say in law I would reckon just you know tackling big issues all at once I'd rather focus on individual people so that's kind of how I chose medicine um but to this day still kind of remnants about my debate, uh, debate. <laughs> I really miss I really miss public speaking and debate but you know it's a hobby it comes once in a lifetime and I don't regret mm -hmm. it yeah that's a really incredible story and really admiring uh I guess just what led up to that so yeah I think thanks for sharing that as well uh, so why, like you said, you, like you're in your final year of high school, you're like, maybe debate was kind of like a hobby. Medicine was something that you more wanted to do. So mm -hmm. what made you decide to apply to the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland instead of like applying, just doing like an, uh, like what people traditionally do when they're going to school in Canada, like doing an under, uh, undergrad degree and then applying mm -hmm. to medicine afterwards? Was it just like, it was, it would be like more fast tracked faster. You'd be able to finish there. Uh, or was there like a different reason for that? 
Um, I think the fast track reason is a very common reason. Um, I would say that there is an aspect where I would think that, you know, going to a school abroad would give that benefit. But one thing I realized, though, is that if people, if that's people's main motivation to study abroad, it's really difficult to get through because after um, graduation, it's much harder for us to come go back to our respective countries and practice. And I have so much, you know, um, really kudos to the Canadian medical graduates that went through the lengthy process of, of you know, studying a bachelor's degree, doing the MCAT, and then going through the competitive process really is just truly astonishing. I just thought for me, I really wanted to have a cultural exposure to different people. I realized that going abroad, I met people all around the world. I think as a result of me matriculating into RCSI, I have friends and peers from each country each continent and it's just truly amazing that it's such a huge international community and that's kind of the exposure that I really wanted I really I think going into RCSI gave that to me um, in addition to early clinical exposure because um, I think since it's my third year this is my last year of uh, lectures and you know uh, studying for you know, off paper, it's now next year would be going into hospital. So I think the early patient okay. exposure was something I wanted to indulge in, um, as opposed to perhaps doing a bachelor's degree, not necessarily knowing if I am interested in that particular field, and then going into medical school, I kind of wanted to have a little dip in the pool, figure out what medicine is about. Yeah. Understanding that it's very difficult for international medical graduates to match back. I think the benefits for me still, though, however, outweighed the, you know, the, the you know, it's a cost benefit analysis. <laughs> <laughs> Getting into economics. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, just expanding on what you're talking about. Uh, I guess a little bit about your experiences are at RCSI. Would you mind just expanding on that? Like you said, you're going into your third year and uh, like, mm. yeah, how has it been for you so far? Like how, how you said it's like an astounding community of uh, scholars. So mm -hmm. like, would you mind just sharing a little bit more about like your experiences there so far? Yeah, sure. So I think um, for RCSI, I think the, the structure is very different from um, public universities in Canada. Um, I know a lot of people, they normally pick their courses, but for RCSI in particular, you're given set courses. So it's a very small knit community of around, let's say 300 people. Um, I know my first year, there was only like 150 because obviously with the five-year program coming in, as we moved into um, our, you know, in the next year, there's more people coming in. And so there's constantly new people that we're meeting each year. And I thought that with this small community, um, we get the same modules. So we see each other all the time. I think that creates a very close support group that, inevitably became very important in this COVID pandemic. Um, I think the pandemic has impacted the way that international medical graduates and me have studied. It's been a, it's, it's a big jump, you know, it was already a big jump between high school to medical school, having to um, study and understand such a large volume of material in a short period of time. 
coupling with the pandemic, everything going online, it was it was truly dif uh, difficult. All of my peers were having a lot of trouble. Some people couldn't even come to Ireland, so we weren't able to go into you know school. I think RCSI um, in our anatomy year, which was last year, we were given the option to go into school because obviously that was the year we had we had the ability to dissect cadavers and you know look into the actual anatomy of real humans. Obviously, with the pandemic we couldn't but we still had the option so I think that was very unique um it was a very big risk but I think it really enriched my education and a lot of other people would also agree with me this year however um this year however it's it's half online half in person but we're learning pathology now so each system's pathology the types of diseases so I think it's really interesting it all builds up from the basic sciences to anatomy to understanding disease processes and then applications to uh, hospital and clinicals. Okay, okay. And so would you say that the, uh, I guess, structure of the education that you're getting there is similar to what you'd get at medical schools here in Canada? Because medical mm. schools here, they're usually like, do you know how long of a program they are? Is it three, four years? Four years. Mm. four years so how come there's two more years there like do you just learn content at a slower pace or uh do you guys get more of something um that's a very interesting question that I wouldn't have the best shot at especially because um I'm, I'm not 100% sure how the Canadian medical school curriculum works mm -hmm. um what I do know is that the reason why there's an extra two-ish years is because that kind of condenses the medical aspects of a bachelor's degree so if so for instance in my first year in foundation year as they call it mm -hmm. um we learned about you know basically what a student that did biology AP or chemistry AP would learn so the oh, basic biomoleculars the the pharmaceuticals you know the reactions and mm -hmm. then we would have modules that would complement that so we would learn about everything cardiorespiratory and then everything musculoskeletal and nervous system just a little you know dip into the pool and then anatomy I think we just learn head to toe everything about the human body right. um I, I think it's just it's it, it's very dense because they did condense it you know most of the time it's a four-year four-year bachelor four-year medical school there's a lot more time within that frame but um yeah I think that's I think that's the best way I could explain that got you okay uh so what would you say your favorite organ system is uh like do you have um, <laughs> The heart is fascinating. I think the reason why, I think the heart and the brain, because one thing that I realized is that without the heart, nothing could work. I think the energy, the, the blood systems are so intricate, like they're so intricate. It's very difficult to study, but I felt as if the, the hemodynamics were very interesting that continuously keeps us alive. And I think yeah. the brain, I think everyone would agree with me that the nervous system, though is very tricky to learn, it's very interesting to see the different types of nerves that causes me talking right now, you mm -hmm. blinking, us communicating and understanding, comprehending speech. I think it's just beautiful. <laughs> I think it's just no, it's interesting you that the like the heart and the mind, because it's 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 like a debate between the two, right? Like which one is more mm. superior? So you pick one stance and you stick with it. So I found it interesting that you said it's <laughs> both of them because not a lot um, of people say that. They just pick one or the other. Yeah, I have a hard time picking one of my favorites because honestly, I just like a lot, a lot of things. <laughs> but yeah, I think in terms of that debate, um, 
I personally lead on the side that there's there's a state called like vegetation. That's when the the I think that's when like the the brain like this human basically just they just can't function right because the brain's not working. So in a sense, the brain does control all of our motor systems, our you know us as a human. But I think actual death is pronounced when the heart stops the heart flowing stops, when, yeah. yeah so so it's, it's it's a debate you know we don't we'll never know <laughs> but it's both of them work intertwined they're both very important parts of the body yeah maybe when you're coaching next you can set up a debate that um is heart versus <laughs> yeah. minds and you can, yeah, like, I was considering yeah. uh just give you a debate idea okay mm-hmm. uh, yeah getting back into it uh can you explain the application process for applying to medicine um like internationally, like it's, you said, mm. it's different, right? It's not the same as Canadian medical schools. Like you don't have to write the MCAT, but you said you still have to submit, like, I guess your transcript, get reference letters and uh, write a personal statement. So is there anything yeah. else that encompasses that process? Yeah. So um, I actually applied to um, a few Canadian schools. I think most notably I applied to Queens. That was my, um, that was I kind of have a battle between first choices of RCSI and Queens University. Okay. Um, I just thought, I think it's different because um, I didn't apply to the States. I know the States have interviews. Uh, RCSI also had an interview. So what happened was we were, we, we had to uh, submit our transcripts from grade 10 all the way to, I think, semester one or grade 12. If you wanted to do um, the early applications, gotcha. um, you got two recommendations from either one of them has to be a science professor or of some sort, like, you know, medical professional. Um, the mm-hmm. other can be just someone that knows you really well. So, you know, I got one from my principal. Um, I was part, he, he ran the leadership program and I was really closely knit with him when we were working on school projects. So mm-hmm. I asked him. Um, and then we had to write a personal statement about detailing why we wanted to do medicine and why RCSI was fit for us. Um, and then I think um, a few test scores we had to submit. Um, I think AP, I just did AP just in case, you know, if the five-year program wanted, you know, was an option for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think after that, uh, we just waited and then we got an interview. And back then the interview was in person. I think now it's online or over the phone. Right. After the interview, it's around 30 minutes and then they let, you know, get back to you um, within due time. Um, I applied to two Irish schools. I applied to University College of Dublin and RCSI and I did interviews for both. And they're they're quite interesting, <laughs> needless to say. That's Yeah, that's awesome. So like, what's the application timeline looking like? So when when did you apply? When did you hear back? Um, so I think for me, since I was such a keen starter, I started writing my application in August, but okay. I, um, and so, and so August, that was August of your grade 11 year in high school. Yeah. Uh, August of my, just finishing grade 11, going into grade 12 year. Going to grade 12. Okay. So like that's yeah, so incoming in grade 12. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So of that August, I think it was August, 2018. Um, I started writing my application September, 2018. I'm just getting all the references, the personal statements. Um, and then I think the applications started opening on November, 2018 ish. Um, the due, it was the early, the first cycle was due in January, 2019. So um, oh, okay. had to get everything in by then, but there's also secondary cycles, so you can also apply around March time, and then you would be able to get in or hear back from them by June. I just wanted to get a head start, so I did my interviews then in February. I was invited for an interview, and mm-hmm. then I heard back around in March, I think. 
Okay, and then you matriculated, I guess, in that fall, like September yeah. or something? Yes, and then I think we had to pay a deposit to keep our spot. There's quite a lot of, it was quite competitive. So in order to make sure that, you know, because we got offers from different Irish universities at that time, mm-hmm. um, because we used a, port, a, a portal. It's like similar to common application in the States. It's called um, Atlantic Bridge for Canadians. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how the application process went. Got you. Okay. And uh, just quickly going back to a particular part of the application process, uh, mm-hmm. personal statements. I know those are a big thing that um, a lot of students like stress over. So I was just wondering if you, I guess, had any, any advice mm-hmm. writing those, like maybe something that might you think might have worked mm-hmm. for you? Yeah, it was, it was, I think a personal statement is like very synonymous to dissecting your own brain. You have to, I think one of the best advices that I could give to people is to really write, to write down all the experiences that they've encountered, the people they've encountered, the, the, what they've learned in life, what has motivated them to become who they are and dissect it little by little. Why is this important to me? What did I learn from this? It's it's really a mind map. Actually, when I did my personal statement, I wrote a huge mind map that detailed, you know, what I learned from volunteering at this pharmacy, what I gained as a future healthcare professional from observerships in my family medicine clinic and even from debate too, what did I learn from teaching so many students? Um, Mm. I think the best way to do a personal statement is to be authentic, be true to yourself, don't sugarcoat and to really, really have some time for yourself to think for yourself and, you know, figure out who you really are. I know it sounds very cliche, but that's how I did it and it worked for me. No, I really think that's good advice. And I actually just finished writing a personal statement this morning for uh, oh, really? a program that I'm applying to at the U of C. Oh, wow. So uh, I, I definitely agree with all, everything that you said. I definitely agree with just writing down everything that you've done like in the past and mm-hmm. uh, I guess creating like a docs or something and just going through them and see how everything fits together like a puzzle piece and right. uh, trying to find yeah. like a story, right? Uh, don't yeah. just like list experiences actually reflect on them and uh, relate them to, I guess, what you want to do uh, in the future. Yeah, exactly. I think that's actually a very good point. I completely forgot to mention that this entire thing that you need one theme because yeah. um, you're that right. Ties everything that, together. Yeah, exactly. Everything needs to kind of tie in together. So I think just if, if anyone is, you know, writing any medical school personal statements, you, I can, you can, I'll give you an example of mine. So basically for me, I wrote about my brother, um, he had he had a string of mental health conditions and he was only at the time he was only eight. So I talked about how seeing my brother go through these social settings with a different mindset and knowing that he's different from other people, how I used my experiences to fully understand what it's like to go through that, what it's like to help someone like that. Mm -hmm. and how I applied that back to my own personal home and I think it doesn't have to be just from a person it doesn't have to be someone close it can be from an experience you personally dealt with I know one of my friends wrote um, a personal statement about um, you know a car accident how she learned from that the paramedics how how she interacted with them the you know I think there's definitely something that you can write about because everyone's unique. So just think of your own unique story. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to, you know, take it from someone else and make it your own. Yeah. So in, just in that regards, what would you say to people who are like, cause mm. um, 
like pre-med, there's a lot of things that people do similarly, like they volunteer at the hospital, they do this, et cetera, et cetera. And so people have similar experiences. So mm-hmm. how, how can you make those experiences unique to you instead of just, I guess, listing that, right? Because mm-hmm. like, what if you don't have a particularly like different or unique experience? How can you make those uh, like maybe volunteering at the hospital just unique to yourself? Would it just be, would you say like just reflecting on how it relates to you? Uh, maybe that would, that's what would make it unique? Yeah, I think um, the best way to make it unique is to reflect on what you've learned from that because everyone, because I think one thing that my um, my parents told me was mm-hmm. 10 people could be in the same room learning from the same doctor. All of them could have learned different things. They, they went home and they synthesized different parts of what the doctor said. So yeah. that's, that's kind of the same thing with these experiences. You know, um, if you're volunteering at a hospital, you meet different people, you have different interactions. No one is, no one has the same, right. you know, conversation with the same woman that you're treating. So that's one that I think that's a very good point, Shub, that, you know, it's it ha- it's very unique to your experiences and what you take away from it. But I think yeah. one thing that I realized for um, what distinguishes medical students, it's not necessarily academics. It has to do with the involvement even outside of medicine, because many people in medical school will have very similar experiences, as you said. But what sets them apart is what they've been doing that's not necessarily medicine related, but they're super passionate about. So there's this one girl in RCSI. I know that she she's very passionate in rowing. And I know she she went to a really, really big competition in France and she got a medal for that while she's doing a full-time medical school degree so there's just just different things that people are doing to fulfill their life you know no one should drop their passion because you know medical school is difficult but you should never drop your passion for it I think that's one thing I wish I didn't for instruments you know I because I left all my instruments at home I didn't think I'd have the time but now I think because of the pandemic I would have had a lot of time to keep (laughs) practicing so but what what instruments do you play um, when I was younger, I used to play the piano violin. I was part of the marching band, so I did the clarinet oh. and trumpet. But um, ultimately, I settled on the alto saxophone because I really liked how you could play classical music, but you could also jazz it up a little bit. Um, oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, so yeah, but I haven't played in around like three years. I think it's, I just have, haven't had the time really. Yeah, no, music is something I really miss as well because I did it all throughout high school. I, I played the cello all throughout and I did a bit of like, oh, wow. so uh, <laughs> yeah, that was an experience of itself. And I really wish I could have continued it even like into university, but I, I don't know. It's just been hard, like with the pandemic, like you can't really play that in person. And maybe yeah, and the cello is really big as well too. You kind of <laughs> yeah. have to carry around, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, I really want to get one for myself uh, sometime mm. in the future. So um, don't know when that will be, but one day I'll, I'll buy one for Hopefully myself. Hopefully soon. Yeah. No, good, good stuff. Hey, I was going to ask you, right. Interviews. You said you also had to do an interview at, uh, I guess, to get into RCSI. So yeah. uh, uh, you told me that you're extremely, you were extremely involved with speech and debate um, in high school. And uh, I know that must have definitely helped you with your interview process, just articulating mm-hmm. like those arguments and those points. So mm-hmm. uh, any tips, advice for a- answering frequently asked questions during, uh, I guess, me- medical school interviews? Because I'm assuming it would be the same, uh, similar questions, mm-hmm. at least to Canadian medical schools that they'd ask. Yeah, so um, 
Man, the interviews were such a long time ago. I'm still trying to recollect what really went down because I've always been trying <laughs> to wonder why they chose me, you know. Um, I think for the interviews, the first, the first and the, the first, the only question that you should really prepare is who you are, because that's the first question they always ask. They always ask you, can you please tell me a little about a little bit about yourself? And you shouldn't write it word to word so you memorize it because they obviously don't want you to sound robotic. A lot of the interviewers told me. When I walked in, I was very nervous. You know, I've done a lot of interviews for MUN conference, Model United Nations. Oh, you did mine. Yeah, I did Model United Nations. Oh man, Model United Nations was incredible. I it just, was incredible. I just wish I could keep doing that. I think we have a club at RCSI, but um, I don't think we've done anything huge at this point. I think next year, hopefully, we can do something big. But regardless, anyways, I did a lot of interviews for MUN. I did a lot for like you know organizations and volunteer work. I was just very nervous because I felt like my future was on the line here. And I think the one thing that the interviewer told me that I take away to this day is they're never here to penalize you. They're here to figure out who you are and have a conversation with you. And that made me realize how humanized medicine is. They want to see you as a person. They don't want to see your accomplishments. They don't want to see that, you know, you're you're 100% top. They want to see what you've been doing in the community. And if you're a person that a patient would love to confide with. So I think for me, the, the biggest tips I would give is to definitely write out some of the experiences that you really want to talk about that mm-hmm. you think adds value to your application. Um, perhaps make a little mental note about answering the question why you want to go into medical school. Um, and, you know, as the answer I gave previously you know you can talk about how if yours was an epiphany you know maybe like you were in one you were at a at some place at some time and then you realize I want to do medicine or if it's a revelation of the exposures you've had in your life you know my family members my friends you know the world in itself like I see all this happening right it depends on you really it it really depends on your story but I think the biggest advice just just don't fret because just be yourself don't 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 make it sound forced you know it's not like you're trying to sell yourself out you're you're just having a conversation with them no thank thank you for sharing that very important message i know that's gonna um i guess help a lot of people um as they're preparing so. for their yeah interview. yeah i hope so <laughs> sure. uh and um just another point regarding i guess all the speech and debate that you're doing yeah do you have any advice in just general for public speaking as a whole because it's, it's so central to everything that we do in life and like mm. just our everyday like day-to-day life right like public mm. speaking like you're talking to other people uh maybe at school you're asking like a professor a question or you're answering something so um yeah. can you maybe like highlight what you've learned from your experiences with speech and debate and what you've taken away from them all um sure um let me think so i think i think for um one of the biggest things that i've learned from debate and public speaking was confidence changes how you present yourself to people because okay i realized that one of the reasons why i actually so for me i english was my first language but i grew up in a household where we also spoke korean and that really made it confusing for me and my development for english was very slow so i think by the time i was around grade 4 i was still not able to you know speak english i mean now i can but that's besides the point i enrolled in 
debate in public speaking primarily because I had a tick while I was talking, I think because of nervousness or due mm. to, I'm not too sure why. But regardless, all my friends that I've met at debate and public speaking, they came in feeling, you know, very timid. They're very timid people. They weren't very outspoken and they're worried about formulating their own opinions and thinking for themselves. But debate and public speaking does just that. With the amount of exposure you get, the amount of debates you do, the amount of times that we've been put under pressure in front of people having to deliver a speech and you're just, you know, you're just shaking because just you're just scared. I think... All those exposures help us overcome that. So we're now we're used to talking in front of audiences. We're used to, you know, creating a speech on the spot. So I think mm -hmm. the biggest thing I took away from debate and public speaking was that it builds confidence. Putting yourself outside the box and outside your comfort zone really builds but your confidence. I, I completely agree with that as well, because when I was younger, I was uh, really timid as well. And I, I guess I wasn't the best public sp speaker. I know I remember back in like grade was it back in grade eight or something I was running for I guess my class representative for student council oh. and uh, <laughs> as I was like giving a speech in front of class like I was about to like collapse like my legs were shaking and like <laughs> I feel the sweat dripping down my like armpits like I don't know how I got through that speech and <laughs> delivered it but yeah that was scary but like just every experience thereafter like uh just the many times I, I was like forced to give a speech or something to like a group of audience every time I felt it getting better and better like my ability to, ability to I guess deliver a speech or uh, share something with an audience and uh, mm. so that's why I completely agreed with your point about just putting yourself out there again and again and uh, it'll get better yeah because you know actually um yeah, that gave me a really, that's, that actually reminded me of a very important experience as well, too, that I learned. Um, you're right in a sense that like, you know, everyone, even both of us, you know, we're speaking to you in a podcast and we used to be people that were super scared to speak right. in front of anyone. Um, I think the reason, I think, I think the, the biggest memory I have was I remember I was, I think I was like 15 or 14, 15, I'm not too sure. I just joined debate fresh into debate there was a topic I think it was about um reparations to African-Americans in the U.S. Okay. Um, our first tournament my first tournament I had no idea what I was doing I was really young I I didn't I went into my round they were all tall and they knew what they're doing and I just I freaked out and normally debate rounds there's six debate rounds in prelims I didn't win a single one and that really devastated me but right. I never realized that was the catalyst point of me learning from my mistakes and that's the reason why I think I've been doing debate for four years going to these tournaments getting accolades because I just you learn from your mistakes you know no exactly. one I think the best way to learn isn't from success it's really from your failures and learning how to pick yourself up that is so very true I, I had a very similar keystone experience uh you you're talking about model UN and yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did that all throughout high school. Like I started back in grade nine. Oh, really? I was actually, I didn't want to do it, but like I was forced to buy one of my, I guess, older peers or his mm -hmm. friends. So yeah, yeah. He, he forced me to come to a meeting. Uh, he forced me to sign up to this conference that the University of Alberta runs every year. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and like back in grade nine, that, that was the first year I did it. Like, I don't think I said one word, like, you know how the conferences are run, like you put up your <laughs> placard and everything. Yeah. So, and yeah, I didn't put up my placard. It was just like during the unmoderated caucuses, I'd talk to people and that was like, if they came to me. So yeah, mm. I was like very shy. And so I only said like, 
I, I was forced to say something. So I prepared something in, uh, like in advance in case I was like picked yeah. on or something. <laughs> and so one of my friends yeah. from high school, uh, they gave up their time, like as a joke, right? They just gave up their, like they raised their placard. Yeah, and, they like, gave their I time to you, right? Gave to me. And so oh I had to say something. <laughs> like I can't just like, so I had to get up and say something. So I just said that, like I stumbled my way through it. And by the end of it, like like you said, I didn't win like any of the accolades or awards. Yeah. Like I saw other people winning them. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how they do it, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> yes. I, I slowly worked on it and um, grade nine, grade 10, didn't win anything in grade 10 as well. But I think I um, built more confidence around that. And then mm-hmm. grade 11 and 12, like 11, I... Um, like I prepped a lot ahead of time and I got myself mentally prepared and I ended up winning like outstanding delegates back. Like I, I did my debate oh, in the wow. world health organization, like that. Oh committee. really? Yeah. Yeah. Like that was, was my go-to. Your, yeah. What was your topic? Because I actually, actually my last MUN conference, I did world health organization as well too. That's my okay, go-to I, as well. Oh no way. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so my topic in grade 12 was, um, I'll tell you grade 11 because I remember that it was universal mm. health coverage and oh. something else I can't believe I'm forgetting it and then grade 12 was organ trade and uh, sex trafficking and oh, oh and grade 11 the other one was the opioid crisis oh, so opioid crisis topic. and universal health coverage and mm. for grade 12 it was um, organ trade and trafficking and sex trafficking oh those are those are very interesting topics yeah, I wish yeah. we did a, our topic was on that. That'd be very interesting to talk what about. What was your guys' topic? Um, I think ours, I think um, for the uh, ours was about um, healthcare and conflict zones. So we okay. talked a lot about um, the Afghanistan war. We talked a lot about Yemen because Yemen right. is currently in a really, in, in a really bad state. And I think the second one was about um, rare diseases. So, or not, or not rare diseases. I think maybe, uh, tropical tropical diseases because there's quite a lot in this in south in the africas um that we okay. had to talk about so one of them was ebola the ebola outbreak oh. and so we're trying to yeah so it, it was a very it was very difficult because you know there's there's a lot of countries that had differing views about how to handle the outbreaks and so yeah i think yeah, yeah those are those are very well, yeah that's what i love about man right because it's not it's not just speech and debate it's like a bigger issue like you're discussing yeah exactly huge issues like that are pertinent and prevalent to society so yeah yeah that's yeah, what I, mean, I mm-hmm. sorry no yeah that's that's what I was, that's what I was going to mention as well so model United Nations enables a lot more discussion there's no right or wrong it's just it's it's really just a discussion of like what's the best solution really con- con- considering that there's some countries that have very opposing views you know Mm-hmm. no no I agree what what country were you when you did it um oh, most recently? I'm not too sure I know I know I I know um for MUN conferences I always do it with one of my friends she was my previous debate partner okay um I think she, I think I think I was I think I was India and she was no way I did India back in grade 11 oh really <laughs> <laughs> very similar experience to be honest, I really wanted to do Canada, but I don't think I don't think it was. Um, I, I applied last minute, so I don't think oh. it was there at the time. But I think my friend did the United 
kingdom i think and i i told her you know you have to take a country that has really big influence because i don't know if everyone likes india and we both just made vlogs it was really nice though because we both got awards i think she, um i think she got outstanding and then i got best so it was just kind of weird like it was just two blocks at the same you know it's just Great. yeah but no, it was congratulations really that's awesome thank you it was yeah. really fun <laughs> i know i i miss man i wish i could continue mm. that yeah yeah me too but I think, yeah, that, I guess that's a good place to put a, I guess, a pause for interviews. I think we yeah, covered a lot with that. So yeah, mm-hmm. thanks for sharing all of your experiences. Yeah, no with worries. <laughs> for sure. So um, just a few more things I want to touch on. I guess one of them was research. I know that you touched on it earlier. Uh, you're really passionate about research and you've already pursued like several um, projects related to that. Mm-hmm. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about how you got into research and sharing a little bit about your projects? Yeah, so um, I think the I think I would start off by advice to younger people that are trying to get into research. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you do the big shot you know, research programs like the ones, you know, MD Anderson Cancer, Cancer Center or like Sick Kids Hospital, you know, um, just start small and then work up because I feel like for me, um, I had no research background even in high school, and mm. I didn't even consider doing research in university. But around in my first year, I think I applied, I cold emailed a lot of professors in the lower mainlands and in Toronto. There wasn't any luck because I feel like first years, as a first year medical student that didn't have any prior research experience, there weren't many people that were willing to take me on. Sure. So despite that, um, I utilized LinkedIn a lot. And I think that was because ever since the pandemic had hit, um, that was the first time I had to go back home. So this was around, I think, March of, 2020, uh, March of 2020. Mm-hmm. And through LinkedIn, I was able to find a few opportunities. Like, for instance, there's like a few like research journal clubs that were going on online. There were some fellowship programs from like, you know, like, um, I think one of them was Foundation of International Relief for Me- uh, in Medicine for Children, so FIMRIC. Um, I think I did those. And from those, I gained a little bit of research experience, but with the free time that I had, I realized that there was a lot of online platforms that gave you free coding courses or even medicine courses. So for instance, I think if you was Coursera edX, Mm-hmm. I learned how to code um, on a program called R because I heard that R is really good for genomic um, uh, processing and analysis. Mm-hmm. I did a course on that on edX. I also did a few courses on statistics in general because the one the weird thing about RCSI is they don't really teach us uh, or give us a module about statistics. And I know that in Canadian universities, most people learn how to do statistics. I personally just don't. <laughs> but no. after learning after learning how to do that. Um, RCSI decided to do, um, a, I think their research summer school went online. So what the what happened was there was an application form that opened at a certain day and a certain time. People were to blind, to send their resumes, but have to be blinded. So there's no bias. You, you choose a project that you want to do. You send it out. I sent it out first round. There was it was it was super, super um, tight because um, there was around. There was only 60 spots and I think almost 200 people tried to apply with and oh, the wow. spots filled up in like five minutes. So I, I was lucky to get in, but I got rejected the first round and uh, they were they told me to apply for a different project because they thought that my resume was pretty well written. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I matched with one of the 
one of my supervisors who I am still to this day a really good friend and he's a really really amazing mentor for me um, his name is Dr. Das and he's part of the RCSI um, Department of Pharmacy and Biomolecular Science okay. his pro- I, I matched with his project the first project that I did was about um, long coding RNA sequencing in colorectal cancer my job was to use the program and the coding that I did to look through certain cancer depositories. So like, you know, like public data sets, mm-hmm. um, see which genes are essential for the CRISPR analysis that they were doing. So which ones are the ones that they should be looking at? So I had to do a bunch of coding and I had to write, you know, make heat maps about that based off of patient samples, like real patient samples from, you know, public depositories. Um, after that project, um, it was really, it went really well. I did a presentation on it and then, the following summer, I decided to, you know, email him again, ask him if there's anything else for me. And that's why right now, I think I'm, um, right now, currently, I'm doing this methyl cyber sort analysis using R, which is it's just a type of package that deconvolutes immune cells, looks at DNA methylation patterns, sees, you know, if there's any Genetics. significance. Yeah, like basically genetics, in, but specifically for ulcerative colitis um, and... Crohn's disease. Yeah. So that's currently what I'm working on right now. And I I noticed that you were doing some work with um, heart heart research as well, like atrial fibrillation, uh, I guess to treat and predict that condition. And I'm personally really passionate about heart research (laughs) because like all of my topics that I've, I guess, investigated so far have been related to the heart. So Mm. I'd love to hear more about that project. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, the heart's really crazy. I really like the heart. That's why I was considering doing, you know, cardiology specialization, but oncology as well, too, comes a close second. But that's why um, what happened was around, I think, March of 2021, my school, my my school sent an email about the George Washington University program. Mm-hmm. And they told us to apply for it. And I thought it was, you know, I thought I'd give it a shot. I wanted to, you know, do research in precision medicine. That's, that was what the program was about. Um, and I was super happy when I got the acceptance, you know, it was just crazy. I was really excited to work with, um, his name um, is Dr. Vidal and he's a really astounded uh, Spanish researcher. He has, you know, MD, PhD, all sorts of things. And he does a lot of precision medicine and translational medicine, which looks at like, you know, the genomics and the genomic underpinning of certain conditions, translating that into real life treatments. Um, one of the projects that I was um, matched with was atrial fibrillation and the pro- the project that was the project that was undergoing was the in the field of oncocardiology so there's a lot of literature that they've gained that talked about how the pro-inflammatory state and the autonomic dysfunction that causes the genesis of atrial fibrillation is also favorable to the genesis of metastasis. And that was quite interesting because that means a lot of patients that have atrial fibrillation have a risk of developing cancer. And we don't know what kind of cancer it is. We don't know how to survey it. We don't know what variables cause these patients to be more likely predisposed to that. So the lab which is located, I think, in Valencia in Spain. It's, they're currently doing blood tests to figure out um, if there's any variables that could point to that. So far, we've only looked at creatine, but the only explanation to that was a lot of the patients that did develop malignancies had impaired renal function. Um, the oh. pathology is still very unknown. Um, I think very interesting, though, however, was a lot of, like, um, there was, I think, patients with atrial fibrillation are 4.91 times more likely to develop occult cancer. 
So I thought that was a very interesting finding. That's the current research that we're doing. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we're just hoping that we could actually find an explanation to what variables would help us serve, like, you know, keep atrial fibrillation patients under surveillance for cancer. Cancers. Mm. Oh, wow. That like, I've never heard that before. Uh, that's mm. interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very difficult. It's, it's a very difficult research because there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of exclusions that we had to do. Like if right. a patient had a previous diagnosis of cancer, that's obviously going to skew the results or, and, and we mainly looked at people that had the first episode of it. So not necessarily someone that has recurrent atrial fibrillation, just the first index period between mm. 2010 to 2015, you know, um, after the two-year follow-up, did they develop a malignancy? Right. So. Yeah, no, just wishing you all the best with all, all of your research work. Like, um, thank you. Uh, yeah, um, I'll, I'll definitely follow along with it. Uh, yes, have, have you published anything so, so far or have you have like anything in draft right now? The only, the, I think the publications, I think the only publications that I currently have are, um, they're undergoing revision. So the first one is about um, a research highlight that I wrote about CRISPR trials in sickle cell anemia, talking okay. about how like um, CRISPR could potentially um, reverse the genetic mutation that causes sickle cell um, red blood cells. Mm -hmm. um, the current, I think, for the atrial fibrillation paper, it's going, it's getting submitted. I'm not too sure because I think the correspondence author is considering publishing it in a Spanish uh, journal, so that's oh. still up to up to debate. But I'm presenting it at a conference in a in two months, so that's the only major things um, with my with my uh, in with my ulcerative colitis research. Um, that's still in the workings because there's a lot of data processing that had to be done with school. It was kind of difficult to balance as well, but over the summer, I think I'm going to be doing some bench work and looking at certain, the roles of like certain genes that might be responsible for regulating, you know, inflammatory bowel diseases. Mm -hmm. Um, so hopefully after that, I could potentially create a manuscript. Um, but I think the only the only manuscripts that are in process are the ones that are as a side hustle. So not necessarily my major projects because they take some time. But yeah. um, for instance, like a, I'm, think, I'm creating a letter letter to editor. Um, mm. I'm not too sure if you know. I think you might know what that is, right? So yeah. So I'm just writing that about how um, COVID-19 has impacted cardiology um, treatment admissions in ICU in, in, oh. in ICU. Um, with Omicron also being written in. Oh yeah, that's a, like a hot topic right now. So yeah, <laughs> no, very very neat. Um, sounds very exciting. So yeah, good success with all of that. Oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. And I just wanted to touch on one more thing because uh, you mentioned uh, mental health earlier again, and mm -hmm. uh, you. I, I, I wanted to touch on the platform, I guess, you've created to bring awareness to uh, students' mental health, which um, I'm sure has definitely been impacted by the pandemic. So mm. the, platform, the platform that you've created, what, like, what exactly does it entail? And um, I guess, how big of a concern do you think mental health has been in the medical profession? Mm, so the current platform is still under the workings. Primarily, I was I was going to use the winter break to work on it because I'm still trying to figure out um, and iron out, I guess, like the specific details of what I want on the, you know, on the on the website. But the reason for my motivation to create this was because 
mental health in medical school, whether it's in Canada or in, in or internationally, is very underappreciated. I think a lot of the schools have tried their best to provide these resources to them. But I remember writing, reading a research paper that out of the entire student population body, I think there was like around a thousand, only 16% of them felt as if there was adequate you know, resources for mental health. And that really says a lot. That just shows that these students, even if there are mental health resources for them, they just don't know how to access them. They don't know where to start or they're just too scared to even address it. Maybe they don't even know. Because for me personally, I never noticed that my mental health was getting really negatively affected by the pandemic until I started, you know, taking time to think for myself outside of studying, you know, and realizing that there's a lot of things that I'm not happy with because the pandemic really changed, you know, our new normal. It's, it's our new normal now, right? Yeah, um, so my, my hope is, is that from this platform to give international medical graduates and any medical graduates from around the world alike a platform to just vent and explain and talk about their you know stories because I felt like the best way to create rapper in terms of mental health isn't necessarily like crazy intervention like having to go counseling I feel like it has to do with them knowing that there's other people that are watching out for them there's other people that are going through the same things yeah Yeah. because I think like because we're so disconnected from the social you know the social pariah of everyone going out because of the pandemic personally I just don't know what other people are going through like there are times where I'm thinking sitting in my room thinking you know is this is this is this my life is this am I am I the only one going through this but as I talk to other people and hear stories, you know, from other, from elsewhere, I realize I'm not the only one. And so I think the main objective is to give people like, you know, create blog posts for people to write about it. It's, it's very, it would be very people oriented. So they just mm-hmm. write about their experiences and potentially put on some resources that could direct them to mental health, you know, how to handle their mental health, some study tips, how to live abroad, especially for international medical graduates, um, you know, what to do during this free time. And I think there's just a lot of pointers that they should be, they they should get. And Mm. yeah, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's the big thing. You know, I think mental health is already very um, underappreciated medical school, let alone because of the pandemic, it's just gotten worse. I think, yeah, I think that's kind of the reason for my motivation to create this just for my peers and for everyone else. Yeah, that's outstanding. Yeah, all, all the best with, uh, I guess, your endeavors with that. I'm, yeah, mm, I'm rooting you. for you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and like you, you were talking about how the pandemic has created this new normal. And mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there, I guess, a lot of students have been like struggling to manage their time and uh, with everything becoming, I guess, with the new normal coming about, it's, it's definitely impacted a lot of people. So mm-hmm. how can people, I guess, remain resilient in a sense and um, use that pandemic as a way to, I guess, p- p- like push themselves forward? Mm-hmm. Like how, how do you think students can do that? Maybe medical students even? Um, I think that's a very good question that even I myself might not have <laughs> an answer for because I've been really struggling with that question how do how to you know create resilience I think 
I think it's a mindset because a lot of students, they put themselves in a negative bubble thinking that, oh, there's this I couldn't have done. I couldn't I couldn't travel because of the pandemic. I couldn't see my family because of the pandemic. Maybe I couldn't celebrate my birthday. You know, I, I wasn't able to celebrate my birthday because of the pandemic either. But oh. I think I think it's a mindset that people have to understand that the pandemic is just a just one challenge that we have to face in life you know life isn't very easy it's just it's not a straight path there's definitely going to be bumps in it right and I think the advice I would give to students is to not necessarily look at the negatives but take advantage of the time you have to create more opportunities for yourself not necessarily waiting for these opportunities to come because I think as a result of this pandemic the, the the best thing that's happened for me so far obviously I know that the pandemic is really bad I've been reading up every day about the cases the ICU admissions and it's terrible but I think from an intrinsic value and a point of view because of the pandemic I was able to take a lot of time for myself to discover who I am to figure out what I want to do in the future and to embark on any opportunities that are presented to me virtually um you know and I think it also gives you more time to fully con- try to connect with your, you know, you know, technology is amazing, right? You can just call up your mom, even though she's miles away. That's the, that's what I did like a few minutes ago. Right. And so right. it's just, it, it's nice because you can just have time to see your friends even online and appreciate that, you know, this world is advanced to the point where we can still keep contact with our loved ones. I think it's just, a, I think, I think that's, that's my take on it. Do you have anything else to add, Shub? I mean, it's a very... Um, no, I'm just sitting here like listening question. to you talk. I, I I love that. Yeah, I loved your message. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, I found like like what you shared, like similar to me as well. Like I've just been trying to, I guess, make the best out of it, like changing my mindset. So instead of like maybe something getting counseling or something, just maybe it was for the best and then finding mm-hmm. something else in a sort sense. Like, uh, for example, like back in grade 12, our model UN conference got canceled or something. Um, It was supposed to be in person. So instead of just took that as an opportunity to maybe try out something new, Uh, we organized Mm. like a virtual conference and I guess that had a lot of success. And that was just one experience, like one example from what I'm talking about. Like there are so many others where you just have to, I guess, adapt to the new situation and uh, just try to make the best out of it. So wholeheartedly wholeheartedly agree with what you said before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How was the how was the virtual conference? Because um because I graduated in 2019, I never I never really had to deal with the virtual aspect of an MUN conference. How did Fun. that go? Yeah, it was it was uh I guess just learning as you were going through it, uh, maybe mm. making like different changes to it. But we we had an in-person conference, but we were mm. also trying to organize one in our school district, uh just right. everyone, yeah, in, in Grand Prairie. And so since we weren't able to do that because schools went online, uh, myself and one of my other friends who were very involved in MUN, like all throughout high school, we just set up that virtual conference like over Zoom. And we actually had people all across, like from Canada and the U.S. join up, like sign up for it actually. Uh So instead of just, and that was one of the perks as well, like instead of just having it local, we were able to have people from Canada and the US uh, hop onto it because it was just like Mm. uh, friends, like we just shared it on our social media. And so that way Mm. people, like anyone who we knew were able to sign up. 
and yeah, it went really well. Uh, I guess it wasn't the same as in person, like the energy and all that, like like banging on the tables and all that. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was still an experience of itself. Oh yeah, that's that's crazy. Congratulations on the success of your conference. Thank I you, think that you. is. Tr- I think that is true. I think the virtual, I think even though everything did went virtual and virtual school is inevitably difficult, I think mm-hmm. virtual opportunities has enabled pe- people all around the world to participate because- Like do something certain, you wouldn't be able to, right? Yeah, exactly. Doing something mm-hmm. that you wouldn't be able to go to in person because it was required. And I think mm-hmm. that's, I think, I think that's, that speaks a lot about the the technology that's evolving in our world currently. No, exactly. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I I didn't have anything else to touch on. I I don't know if you wanted to talk about something else. Um, I think I'm. I think we, yeah, now. we covered a lot today. It was incredible. Yeah, I think we did. I think I can just end. I think maybe just one advice I can end off to. End yeah, I was going to ask you like any final words, um, like words of wisdom, advice that you'd like to leave with uh, everyone today. Um. I think the best advice that I could give to anyone is that hard work doesn't necessarily mean success. Hard work basically gives you more opportunities that ultimately, based off of your definition of success, will lead to it. Because I think everything in life, whether you apply to medical school, getting through high school, getting through your bachelor's degree, getting research, get you know, creating this podcast, it all requires hard work. But that doesn't necessarily define your end point, you know? I think when it comes to opportunities this podcast potentially has the opportunity to reach you know more viewers more people more outstanding speakers right and that's the same for anything once you start research once you start doing whatever you think fulfills your you know journey throughout whether you want to become an engineer or a lawyer a businessman or an artist even it's the people that you meet along the way, the things that you learn throughout the process, that's what helps you achieve your goals and potentially your ambitions to succeed in the future. And so for me personally, I would not be here without the support of everyone around me. And I wouldn't be here as well too, if I wasn't working hard because I have motivation. The motivation is the people that are counting on me to help them in the future. You know, my parents, you know, my significant other, my my brothers even, right? And I think that's that's very important. You always need a certain support group of people that will help help achieve your goals in the future. So that's that's the message I want to keep is to keep working hard on whatever you're doing. Don't ever give up because the sky is not the limit. Clearly everything's in space. There's so much in space and uh, most importantly, keep your loved ones and your connections and whoever whoever means a lot to you close with you, especially during a time like this. Yeah, that's uh, really incredible. Thank you for sharing that really important message with everybody, Helen. Uh, yeah, Thank it was an absolute much. pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Such a pleasure to talk about everything on this podcast. And I really um, wish you luck for, you know, your future endeavors and the success of this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all for this month. Thank you for listening. Uh, If you liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, If you have questions or thoughts about this episode or just want to connect, I'd love to get an email from you at the email address that's listed in the show notes. Uh, Thank you again for listening and I'll see you next time.